Carl, so I just got back from Jackson Hole this week, and to my surprise, and to the bad prediction I made, the Fed did not announce any tapering. Maybe they were afraid of COVID in Jackson Hole, so they didn't go, and they didn't announce any kind of tapering. So I was a little bit disappointed because I know we talked about that last time. But what I wanted to talk about today with you is the fact that you know we're up about 20% so far this year, and we haven't even seen a 5% pullback, which is extremely rare, is it not? Well, it feels a lot like 2017. That year was just like this. And it was also the first year of a new administration. So maybe it's not, it's not that uncommon given everything that's going on with all the, all the stimulus these days, you know, from, from both administrations, but yeah, historically you you have pullbacks and and corrections to the tune of five to ten percent most almost every year. Yeah, and and definitely definitely the five percent movements. I know we got closer a couple times on the inflation scares, but we really never even hit a down five percent pullback, which is which is kind of rare. And I know the people over at Ritz Holt were talking a few weeks ago about historical performances coming out of recessions. Uh, where the second year, which is what we're in now, is typically a little bit more volatile as the market tries to figure out which directions, which uh, participants of the market are actually going to be leading the market moving forward. And this year, we just haven't seen it. So what I want to talk about with you today was where is the volatility going to come from? There's, you know, a potential, you know, I'm not talking about black swan events. I'm not talking about anything that we can't foresee, but some things that are kind of on our radar. Let's go through a few of those um, and I'll let you start it out. Okay. Well, probably the, the biggest thing that would cause volatility is any any surprise around the Fed's announcement to reduce or taper bond purchases. Yeah. They're really in the or, driver's seat, right? Right. And uh, I mean, I would say too, that the... Um, you know, things are just moving a lot faster than they had in the past. I mean, the, yeah. the fast money chase and people trying to front run their neighbors, get out in front of everybody is <laughs> causing things to move a lot faster. And so mm-hmm. we don't we don't really expect this business cycle to last as long. And we were just discussing the number of ways that you can see that. One way is that, you know, the unemployment rate is already at like, what, 5.4%. And I- it, it you know, in the at the rate it's dropping, you know, despite everything that's still going on with, you know, the pandemic and mask mandates, it could, if it keeps dropping at this rate and, you know, we're in better shape a year from now, I mean, the unemployment rate could be down at 4% just a year from now. And that's right. about on average where it's bottomed over the past three business cycles. Yeah. Now, before we get too much into that, because we are going to cover that, I do want to talk about tapering. And I know we talked about tapering last week and the Fed and interest rates. We won't spend a tremendous amount of time on it. But, you know, my grandparents are looking for a house right now in Las Vegas. And it's like going into Fight Club. You know, they're lucky to come out alive and even put in an offer before the house is off the market. So what I wanted to look at was the 30-year mortgage rate, historically the 30-year mortgage rate, and then kind of look back to 2014, 2015 to when the Fed announced tapering the last time. Um, Because I think if you saw a softening in the real estate market, that could lead to uh, loss of excess investments in real estate, which could lead to dry up capitals in other areas. But from the charts that, that you and I have looked at, you know, it, it, it hasn't really had that much effect. So I'm going to pull up Bloomberg right now. 
So right here, what you're seeing is basically the 30-year mortgage rate that goes all the way back to 2015. And, and if I pulled it up going back to 1987, um, it'd be even crazier, but it's just a perpetual downward movement on this chart. But, you know, Carl, what are we looking at here? Just the 30-year the mortgage rate since... Uh... The rate hike started in the last business cycle, starting with the first one in December of 2015. Right. And so the key thing is that- And you see a you know, spike here. You see a little right. spike right there. I right. Mean, so the first rate hike happened at the end of 2015 and people thought, oh, things are getting better. You know, rates are going up, but actually the yield curve ended up flattening and falling. So that's why mortgage rates declined some more when that happened. And then uh, the big spike there in 2016 was uh, the election and the anticipation of infrastructure spending and inflationary policy. So there was a bit of a reaction to that, but it was kind of it was kind of muted. And then you know as we got further in the business cycle, we had a little bit a little bit more there, but we didn't really get that much. And then things really, you know, as the rate hikes started coming a little bit faster in 2018. Uh, you know, they, the Fed, they had to walk back their plan to hike rates all throughout 2019, and they ended up starting to cut. Right. And the economy just wasn't strong enough to handle it. And not only that, there was just, there was, a, there was enough debt that, um, you know, that's another key question is, um, you know, which we probably won't get into today a lot, but maybe in the future is, you know, what level of interest rates given the amount of debt that's in the economy will kill, uh, kill off the economy and stop things. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, with regards to tapering, which is clearly the, the Fed's uh, soonest to be, you know, trick in their, in their bag, we didn't see a lot of movement in, in mortgages, which could potentially bleed over into the real estate market off of the tapering and definitely not off of, um, of what they did with, with increasing interest rates. You saw some softening. But you know, right now with a thirty-year roughly at three percent, um, it's it's you know it just you just see these downward trends in all of these areas of anything that has to do with interest rates. So you know, you were talking about Fed hiking, and I know Morgan Stanley has this chart out where they kind of basically predict over the next thirty-six months how many Fed hikes we can get. And I know you and I were talking about you can go over to the CME and actually look at you know more Fed data there. But Morgan Stanley over the next three years. Uh, is only predicting, you know, roughly three to three and a half rate hikes uh, over that period of time. And, and coincidentally, that actually puts us right at the end of the typical business cycle, which is about four to five years. Right. And yeah, the CME's FedWatch tool, if you go on there and pull that up and look at that as of uh, December 22, the right. funds futures, they're pricing in at, at least one rate, rate hike. Um, by next year, but there's still a, almost a 50% chance of, of no rate hikes right. next year. So for this year, where can the volatility come from? Uh, maybe tapering, that's, that's possibly one, but you know, significant volatility, probably not, right, Carl? I mean, if we were, if we were gonna predict it. Right, some, yeah. Yeah, but, some. but probably, not, probably not that much, but probably, probably enough to create uh, the kind of pullback that we typically see in a year, right? But probably not anything deeper than that, unless they came um, out and surprised and said, "We're just ending this dang thing. We're not going to buy any more starting tomorrow." That may do it. 
So the yeah, next I one, mean, the next one is what we know in the next five days is the people that are on the extended unemployment that was uh, extended during the Biden Harris administration when they first came into office ends September the 6th. So the extra gravy that was on top of the mashed potatoes of unemployment uh, is going away. And what could lead to a little bit of volatility with that in, in that sense? Why pull up the chart of unemployment? Yeah, well, I mean, it. people will have to test the job market. I mean, people have been, everyone has been saying lots of different things that, you know, that there are lots of unfilled jobs. And I guess uh, once that uh, pandemic unemployment runs out, then we'll, we'll really see how many of those jobs are actually there. Right. I mean, I, and I do see, you know, it's speci specifically at um, uh, waiting services, you know, there is a workforce shortage in, in just places that I've actually visited. Uh, but what's interesting to me, if we talk about the business cycle just, just a little bit, um, is you can see unemployment is averaged a low. This goes back to 1987. The average low of unemployment prior to a recession came out, what do we calculate? About 4.1%. And right now we're at 5.4. So to your point, like you said just a little while ago, we could easily be there within a year and that puts us at the relatively normal area of where unemployment settles prior to, um, you know, the Fed really starting to step in and reaching full unemployment. And then that, you know, even potentially shortens the business cycle even more. Right. And also something that uh, you were telling me earlier is that, you know, from your, you know, your recent trip was that, you know, there were job openings, but it may be that people can't really af afford to live there. Right. Uh, because of the, you know, the rent and what's what's happened because people have moved out of big cities and into more sure. vacation destinations. So there still are a lot of lingering distortions. And it, it very well may be that there are job openings that can't really be filled for one reason or another. I could tell you one restaurant that I went into. Um, we sat outside and there was literally 11 and 12 year olds working, cleaning the tables. They had to be family members. We actually looked it up and saw what the minimum age of working there. And it was, I think, 12 in Wyoming. Um, so they had to be at 12. Uh, so they're definitely feeling it, uh, trying to fill some of those, those um, you know, entry-level job positions. But you know, change in unemployment, uh, unemployment benefits running out, that may cause a little bit of volatility. And then lastly, what was the last topic that could potentially shock the market um, and finally bring a little Corporate bit of Corporate tax increases. Yeah. I mean, that's something that some people have mentioned, but I don't think that a lot of people are really thinking about it or most analysts are really putting it into their estimates. I think people are too glued to the quarterly results. And I don't know that they've, a lot of people have been putting that into their estimates yet, but I mean, if Right. You know, if we went back to, you know, prior to 2017 on that, like that was uh, the corporate tax cut back then was the main reason that the market went up, took a big leg up in 2017 without much volatility. And so if we walk that back, I, I think that could be a more significant thing that could lead to significant volatility or a significant correction. Because, I mean, if you know, all of a sudden earnings estimates have to get cut by 15, 20%. I mean, right. 
that's a huge deal or it yeah, should I mean, be. I, th- I think, think it would be a huge deal. Yeah. What they're floating around is like 28%. But the bigger thing, in my opinion, other than the 28% is the 15% minimum tax on book income. If a company makes over a hundred million dollars, they have to pay a 15% flat tax on the book income that they show on their books. And there's a lot of companies in the S&P 500 that are over a hundred million dollars that aren't very profitable, that could then become unprofitable uh, just because the taxes that are taken out in, in um, uh, the EBITDA equation. So it could be s- sector-specific volatility uh, that could really lead you know, to more volatility within the market. Maybe sectors with more depreciation or more going on in foreign countries. You know, There's been this idea of a global minimum tax being being thrown around too. Right. Well, so we've got corporate taxes that could lead to some volatility. We've got unemployment benefits drying up and what the labor force is going to look like leading to the business cycle. And then Fed tapering announcement that could come as early as the end of this month again, uh, where they're going to potentially announce, you know, pulling back on the bond program. And we did see that that caused some volatility when they did that before. And uh, it could do it again moving forward. So what are your Labor Day plans? Just uh, enjoying the better weather around here. I mean, we're, nice. we're kind of out of summer and, you know, getting in back into that uh, way it felt in May. So yeah, maybe it's, uh, it'll be nicer to go outside different times of the day, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, Carl. I appreciate it. Weekly Sense, everybody. All opinions expressed by Andrew Whalen, employees at Whalen Financial, or any other podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Whalen Financial. Whalen Financial is a registered investment advisor. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Whalen Financial may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.